Welcome to Value-Based Care Insights, brought to you by Illumina Health Partners, a national healthcare consulting firm focused on improving the strategic, financial, and operational performance of provider organizations. On this program, we will explore trends and share valuable insights on how health systems and medical groups can optimize their performance to meet the demands of this increasingly complex healthcare environment and shift to transform the delivery of care. Value-Based Care Insights is hosted by Daniel Marino, Managing Partner of Lumina Health Partners. Daniel has been in the industry for over three decades and specializes in shaping strategic initiatives for organizations in areas such as population health, clinical integration, physician alignment, information technology, and data analytics. For additional insights, visit Lumina. On past programs, we've discussed many times the challenges many hospitals, health systems, physicians have had transitioning into value-based care. I mean, many hospitals and health systems right now only have anywhere between 10 to 25, 30% of their revenue tied to value-based care. Yet there continues to be a lot of pressure on the industry to, to focus care differently, to look at a lot of those outcomes, to manage costs, and again, to really transition fully into a value-based care model. When we think about emergency department visits, ED visits, I sort of think about it as a microcosm of the larger issue that we're experiencing as we're transitioning into value-based care. Many organizations have really struggled with getting their arms around the ED visits, particularly those unnecessary visits. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think in some cases, patients need care that they can't always get within their community. Um, there's, they, they need to have support, you know, in one way or the other from either their primary care physicians, and in some cases they can't get it, so they're going to the ED. And yet hospitals have had a tough time managing a lot of the costs, a lot of the referrals, a lot of the volume, some of which is because, again, their fee-for-service contracts has promoted the acceptance. Today on our show, I'm really pleased to have an industry leader in emergency medicine, Dr. Nicholas Dodero. Dr. Dodero is a chief medical officer and co-founder of Medical Life Holdings. It's a portfolio of companies and practices founded in 2006 to improve the value of healthcare delivery. Dr. Dodero is a board certified physician with the American Board of Emergency Medicine and is a fellow in the American College of Emergency Physicians. Dr. Dodero, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Dan. I'm excited to chat today and I feel honored to be here. Well, thank you, we appreciate it. So Dr. Dodero, a couple of weeks ago, I had a wonderful opportunity to participate in a conference, uh, heard you speak, you did a great job. You made an important comment that really resonated with me. ER visits are an important symptom of a larger problem. Can you expand on that? What do you mean by that comment? Absolutely, and thank you again. Thank you for having me, and it's really fun to talk with you today. Um, so we're in the business of taking care of patients that find solutions in emergency department and hospital settings. Uh, and as we all know, those are, those are busy settings, right? Uh, and as we've done that now for 20 years, um, you know, no one winds up in an emergency department because they want to today, uh, and no one winds up in an emergency department because they think uh, that that's, uh, uh, you know, a, a, the best way to solve their challenge. They wind up there 
as a result of a, a variety of different obstacles that have gotten in their way over the course of some amount of time, two days, five days, two weeks. Um, one of the things that we say is every emergency department visit started about two weeks ago. Uh, and so that is, becomes the, the, it really becomes the symptom of all the events that transpire leading up to that visit. Whereas the visit is not the issue. The visit is the symptom of the larger system problem that we have in healthcare. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective. So do you think that, you know, say physicians, particularly primary care, are really challenged, right? They're very busy. There's not enough primary care. Um, I think physicians do a great job of delivering care in their office, but when the patient leaves, the quality of that care actually decreases. Do you think physicians really incorporate or use emergency visits as an extension of their practice? Well, I think they do, rightly so, with all the good intentions, right? Every physician that I know, primary care and anyone, cardiology or emergency medicine, they want to take care of people. Uh, and certainly the emergency department offers them a way to take care of them when the system isn't supporting the pieces of the journey and the puzzle the patient needs. And, and you've made some interesting comments, we can come back to it, but you think about you think about comments like the division of necessary and unnecessary, acute versus non-acute, obstacles in the healthcare system, complicated healthcare journeys, all these, all these challenges in the face of patients that are hard to solve, hard for the primary care provider or anyone to solve from their position of taking care of patients day in and day out. Uh, and, and with lack of solutions, the only solution that they often turn to or have as, a, as an option is that emergency department, um, which has set itself up to be the solution you know, fairly intentionally. Right, and so some hospitals have provided alternatives to, to care than, than going through the emergency department. But you know, you, I find right now that there's sort of competing objectives, if you will. Hospitals that still have very strong fee-for-service contracts, frankly, you know, they do well from emergency department visits. Um, how does that come into play as you start to think about getting past that, that mindset, that paradigm shift, where we think about the need for other alternative models, if you will? So the emergency department has become a really great resource for using hospital services. Hospitals have figured that out, you know, and that this is not to say anyone's nefarious. It's just a business model. It is right. They, the emergency department has become an opportunity for hospitals to pull patients into their services, which, you know, in a lot of ways makes a lot of sense and often doesn't. Uh, and to start to understand how to leverage an emergency department in a, in a lesser uh, lesser front and center way for a population or a group of patients you care for is the challenge because those, you know, those hospitals have certainly created uh, great opportunities for patients to get around the, around the clock care. So the, you know, the industry, the industry has, has moved against a, you know, a value-based or a population-based uh, process through, through pursuit of your normal business practices you'd expect from hospitals. Right, and you know, and like you said, I think they they focused on making things a lot more efficient, which is good. Um, so it's you know it's it's a lot easier, I think, for the patients to get care out of the emergency department. You know, many uh, I, I'm in the Chicago area, and many of the hospitals and health systems post their wait times, for instance, um, as a well, way sure. of uh, kind of attracting patients, if you will. In in, in your opinion. 
what percentage of the ED visits that occur are maybe unnecessary? Any ideas? Well, I do. Let me give you a little context for a second is, you know, when we work in emergency, so if you guys spent a lot of years, you know, almost two decades standing bedside in emergency departments, academic centers, large and small centers, whatever, a variety of different settings. And when you stand in an emergency department, you know, the old, you've spent a lot of time watching ER uh, on TV, or, you know, for those of us who don't spend a lot of time there, you imagine the patient patients show up a lot of times have life-threatening emergencies. And by and large, that's a very, very small percentage of patients. Um, certainly there are those, right, who are having heart attacks or mm-hmm. acute strokes and those sorts of things. But the, but the majority of patients have, have challenges that aren't necessarily life-threatening. They've got care journey challenges. They've got all kinds of obstacles in their healthcare solutions. They've got things that could be solved in, in the right setting. You know, they've lost a prescription or they have just gotten frustrated by, a, you know, the lack of access to a physical therapist or wound care or something that's just, again, caused the amount of frustration at some point they need some help or some answers. Uh, and they're turning to, uh, you know, a highly, highly capable, high acuity setting like an ER for those answers that um, then drive a lot of the acuity down on your day-to-day patients. So, so what, you know, you, when you look at the population at large, you have really life-threatening emergencies. It's a it's a very very small percentage. In many places, it's you know below twenty percent. That's that's interesting. Yeah. So really, almost eighty percent of those visits can be managed differently. I think is really what it comes down to. So when we had done, um, we do quite a bit of managed care contracting, and I often say on behalf of the the physician groups and and the hospital. You know, there's there's two types of risk, right? You have your insured risk or insurance risk, and you have managed risk. Insurance risk are those things that, you know, you don't really have much control over, right? They're going to happen. It's catastrophic. We have to we have to take care of the patients and and so on and so forth. But you have the managed risk, and those are the things that you should be you should be held accountable to. Right? I agree. Uh, I think part of the challenge is uh, patients patients are very poor as they should be at knowing what's necessary or unnecessary, what's acute or non-acute. When you're anxious or, or unsure about something going on healthcare-wise, uh, you need some guidance, right? And that's kind of why that, that's the job doctors provide, right? They understand healthcare. Uh, all of us have, a lot of us in healthcare, uh, myself, you know, yourself, probably a lot of the people who listen to this have a, have a friend, neighbor, colleague, someone they can text or call when they have a stress provoking moment, right? My son got hurt or my wife is ill or whatever the case may be. Uh, and that's how you relieve that anxiety. You're gonna ask for some guidance and some expertise. And so patients need that same access. And if they don't have it, they're gonna go find it somewhere because they don't, you know, a patient is not, cannot be expected to understand necessary from unnecessary. So when they have that anxiety provoking moment, um, they're gonna seek an outlet for, for, for some answers. And if that, if the best outlet they've seen advertised or aware of is the ER, they'll go there for that for that assurance, as they should, right? Um, providing a better outlet for that, providing a better access to that is not something the system does well yet, uh, which is why ERs and urgent cares have have thrived uh, in this environment. Uh, to to you know, it's our experience with it. Right. No, I agree with you. I, I agree. So, do you think that there's a differentiator there with maybe the level of engagement? with patients? I do. Uh, you know, we talk about, we've talked about, we talked to lots of groups of physicians. We've talked to a lot of groups who are, you know, dealing with shifting to a value-based arrangement or being at risk. And so they're starting to look at, you know, hey, I do a lot. I do a lot. I have a care manager. I have a, I have a couple of nurses on the phone. I've got this program and that program. And they're doing a lot, like a lot of practices, you, you know, you talk to them, but these, 
These practices are taking great efforts to provide resources and services to their patients, yet somehow they still have this expensive cohort of folks who are wandering around and using ERs and kind of leak into other networks and getting routed to places outside of the core kind of team of that physician and the specialist that's around them. Uh, and so they, they're trying to figure out what's going on there. And, and our experience is that, you know, the, 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 some of the population are taking advantage of those resources and they're in quote unquote engaged with the primary. And then a group of them are not because they tend to seek care either when they need it or they want different venues or going to the office in two weeks doesn't seem to work for them, that, that sort of thing. So you have, a, you have two groups of patients um, because many practices get frustrated. They say, we're doing all this stuff and we have a lot of people working with us and we have a lot of patients who come in and do these things. Yet somehow I got this expensive group over here that doesn't seem to, to still respond to what I'm doing. And I don't know how to solve for that, right? That's kind of what you're suggesting and what, what we've found as well. If you just are tuning in, I'm Daniel Marino and you're listening to Value-Based Care Insights. I'm here today talking with Dr. Nicholas Todero, spending some time discussing impacts on ED visits and its relationship to value-based care and, and potentially changing the care delivery model. So Dr. Dodero, when you, when you think about some solutions on how hospitals or maybe health systems or even physicians for that matter can start to put in different models of care, where, where do some of these organizations need to start? They, in our opinion, some of these organizations just start at extending the services the practice provides to the unengaged and unmanaged population that exists amongst the group they're working with, the patient group they're working with. Um, they've got to approach that population from a different angle. They have you know, different needs or expectations. And, um, you know, it seems in today's, in today's world, when you're, when you have an acute concern, and again, uh, we, we tend to caution ourselves not to, to try to stratify concerns because the patients don't understand when something is serious or not. It's our job to sort that out. Um, they've got to access that practice in different ways. And it's got to be real-time access. And a lot of times they want to access that practice with a capable or credentialed you know, provider, often a physician, which is not to say that any one provider is better than the other, but sometimes they want a physician-patient relationship to answer their question. Uh, and so you have to provide that access in a way that's more fluid, dynamic, real-time. Um, it's not a part of phone tree menus and callbacks and waits. So you got to do that to get access to those folks who don't normally access the practice on a scheduled and routine basis. You know, when we when I heard you speak, you had talked about the fact that um, one 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 solution to really being able to drive down these unnecessary visits is you have to provide these other alternatives uh, in the care model through the physician practice, right? So you need to have a wraparound type of a structure that gives the patients alternative different than just getting in their car and going to the emergency department. That, that was really interesting, I think, in, in terms of being able to offer these different types of, of solutions. One, I think it's intuitive, right? I mean, it's the right thing to do. And if you're really going to establish that relationship, you almost have to provide that, that 24-7 level of care. But I think at the same time, it's challenging for physicians to be able to, to do that. How have, through some of the work that you've done, helped to align what the physician does in their practice with trying to provide that alternative support after hours and almost a 24-7 model? Yeah, what we've, 
you know, what we've found is um, primary care physicians and even some, a lot of the specialty care physicians, it, their practice, it, they're, they're hardworking. They're doing a lot. Their practice is very, very busy. Uh, and it's really difficult to, to shift gears and offer a whole nother kind of style or capability of practice on top of that. Even your physicians who still do it the old school way, right? When we were you now dating myself here, when we were young and your doctor took all the phone calls around the clock, right? That's really difficult. It's not scalable. It's not sustainable. It's hard to right. work 24 no. seven. And we, and we find the patients, you know, when your doctor takes the phone, some doctors still say, Hey, I answer my phone 24 hours a day. The patients say, I don't, I don't want to bother them. You know what I mean? Right. Gosh, they work enough, you know? So what do they do? They get, they, they, they hesitate and then they go back to solving it. The old and go back to the ERs or wherever they're going. So what we found is, you know, if you bring in our, what we've done is we, we put together a group of emergency medicine physicians and we provide a virtual 24 seven emergency medicine practice that wraps around your existing practice, because we want, you, you want to keep that practice intact, right? You're doing a lot of great work. You want patients to learn to call that practice, to become affiliate that practice, but it should be that they get a an expanded level of service at three o'clock in the morning on Thursday or on you know on uh, Thanksgiving Day, that sort of stuff. They can still talk to a doctor real time and get that level of interaction where they say, "Hey, I've got the comfort and a credible answer to your solution, or a, you know, kind of a sense of what's going on with me that I can trust." I can trust mm -hmm. that physician's relationship with me. I trust that physician because they're a part of my doctor's practice. They're part of the practice I go to anyway. And so that all, that changes the culture and dynamic and relationship between that, the patient groups and that practice. And then doesn't change, doesn't have to change the entire practice that already exists that's doing a good job with the patients that are working with them. Right, it becomes an extension of it. I love that. I, I, I think that is, I mean, on the surface, it sounds like it has so many benefits to it. So when you're focusing on that though, do you lead with the data or do you lead with the, with the operations, so to speak? In other words, do you focus on looking at those patients from the data and, and really zero in on those patients that are, are, are creating those unnecessary visits? Or do you create the alternative in your operations, in your practice, and promote it that way to your patient population? Where do you start? So we actually flip that upside down a little bit, I think. Uh, we start with the patient relationship. So we believe strongly that the only way you're going to kind of get patients to work with you is to create a relationship, a physician-patient relationship with them. So we proactively go after patients, at, you know, like the primary care doctor does and build a relationship with that patient. Now, we may stratify who we're going after first for a while. So granted, you may know there's a group that, you know, kind of goes to the hospital a lot or you have some data on them. We may look at some data. You may have some data you know, wh wherever the case may be, you may start with that group first, but the focus is that relationship with the entire population of that practice uh, proactively. Uh, and again, we we'll go back to, remember, we talked about ER visits start two or three weeks before the visit. It needs this be that you need to build that relationship so the patient says, hey, I have a relationship with my practice. I trust my doctors. So the moment I have a question, I know now I can get an answer um, before this thing gets, you know, before this thing gets ahead of me. They don't necessarily think that proactively, but you get my point is the moment they have some anxiety, they're calling and saying, help me out here. Uh, and that relationship. And then so what happens is while you have some groups that are maybe a focus on, eventually focus on the whole population, because the folks who've never used the ER eventually do at some point, and you want to be in their lives before that decision happens. Right. I, I couldn't agree with you more. You have to give them an alternative. We know that those visits are going to occur. But as you said earlier, you know, maybe 70 or 80% of those visits 
may not necessarily have to occur in the EV, right? They exactly right. You know, fee for service has provided, uh, you know, kind of a per per event, per click, per procedure, per diagnosis reimbursement model. And when you have to when you have to help a patient in a way that doesn't meet a checkbox for a fee for service arrangement, then how do you how do you make that work? So if, you know, a lot of the, a lot of primary care practices who haven't, of course, people haven't moved to you know, the, the tipping point of 50 or 60 or 70% of value-based care where they can start to do whatever the patient needs and it all comes out in a, in a value-based contract is, you know, the right work at the right time. Uh, in a fee-for-service environment, you can't make that switch very easily. So, you know, a lot of the things we help patients with uh, on Saturday afternoon have no fee-for-service relationship. There's nothing you could write down that would get reimbursed. Right. You know, you're, you're answering questions and solving problems. You're signing a document or Talking to a uh, talking to the daughter about the confusion they have over the, the discharge paperwork or or any sorts of things that need to be done, it's hard to capture those on a fee for service basis. Sometimes people call us six times in two days or ten times in one day. How do you ever capture that fee for service? Right. But it needs to be done, right? And and that's what the care the patient needs. Um, and and when you get free from having to operate in a in a per click basis, um, you get to do a lot of fun things to help people out. And uh, that's where the, that's where the value, the total cost comes down, utilization goes down uh, and, and the customer service component, the, the, the pleasure of being a part of that practice goes ways up. So patient retention goes up, uh, compliance with your network goes up, all those things that kind of factor into the challenges of managing a population successfully start to improve. Yeah, and I would think the, pat, the patient satisfaction has to go up dramatically. Patients don't like sitting in the ED. There's no, no. doubt. Nobody wants to spend a couple hours there. And if you can put some alternatives in place, measure the impact of those alternatives, I think, as you said, those are the fun things to do, right? Then you can really get some traction out of, out of your provider community, out of your contracting, out of the service that you're providing to your patients. It, it, you really, it becomes a lot of fun, actually. It's pretty yeah. funny because you remove, you remove the barriers to access at the practice. You know, lots of practices, because they've had to for pragmatic reasons. Hey, if this happens, call 911. If we're not available, go here and go there. You get rid of all that. You culturally change right. the practice to say, call us for everything. We're going to help you out. Uh, and of course, there's the time someone calls and says, hey, I've, I've got chest pain. You go, that one actually has to go to the ER, right? That's going to happen too. You're yeah. not, you're not cutting corners, but, but the yeah. other conversations, you know, you can solve so many problems. And and boy, uh, I don't know, you know, from my experience, even if you've ever had a sick family member or a sick child, you know, moving through the healthcare system is complicated. It can be very frustrating. There's a lot of obstacles there, even when you know what you're doing, even for someone like myself, sometimes you just go, oh, there's a lot of ways that I, I, they make it hard for me to get something done. Um, and, and when we start to remove those, say, hey, we'll, we'll take on that burden. Let us help you with that. Uh, that's fun stuff. And the patient starts to say, God, you made my life a whole lot easier. You solved mm -hmm. the problem. It, you know, the amount of thank yous and uh, I can't believe how much you've helped me sort of comments we get, which again, becomes an extension of that practice we're working with. So it's not really about us, so to speak. It's about that, right. that practice, which is, which is, you know, people, people tend to never want to leave that practice. Let me tell you. Yeah, uh, boy, that's, that's great. And, and spot on. Well, Dr. Dodero, this has been fantastic. Great conversation. I think you brought up some some fantastic points. Any final insights or words of wisdom um, you'd share with our audience? I'm sure many people, many of our listeners have struggled with a lot of the elements that we brought up today. Any final pieces of advice? Uh, I think it's, you know, looking, looking at your um, population with a fresh set of eyes is, is tough, right? It's hard to 
it's hard to put yourself in patients' positions and unravel some of the barriers that you know that any practice has through through just doing what every other practice does, right? It's hard to do that. So we love we love kind of someone who's willing to step back and say, let's just take a fresh look at how right. we have relationships with our patients. And I think um, I think that takes some some you know some discipline and some some open mindedness. Uh, and once we do that, we find that we really get to a better place. And I would challenge anyone to kind of put themselves in the positions of their patients or any of their patients on a weekend who've had a challenge and, you know, what's that look like? What's that look like? What's that feel like? How can you make that better? And I think when you start there, you start there, the journey begins in earnest and you, and it can be fun to solve it. Yeah. And you may have to make little steps along the way, but I agree. I think if you start to put these things in place, that's going to, that certainly will go a long way towards trying to manage some of these challenges that, that we often see through the ED. Well, this has been fantastic. If any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, um, website, email, LinkedIn, any 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 things that you can share with our audience? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's uh, nicholas.dodaro at crucialist.care for me. Always open to emails. Well, Dr. Dodaro, this has been this has been great. Kudos for you to you and to your team for putting in these alternative. Um, you know, methods of, of care delivery in support of the ED visits. You, you all have done some great work. Really appreciate your time. Well, great. Thank you. It was a pleasure chatting with you. I uh, look forward to doing it again sometime. I want to thank everyone for listening today. Until the next insight, I am your host, Daniel Marino, bringing you 30 minutes of value to your day. Take care. Are you at a crossroad with value-based care? Do you need to chart a future strategy or improve your organization's performance? Visit us at LuminaHP.com to learn more about our professional advisory services and leadership development programs. Also, you can sign up for our newsletter on our website and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. To connect with Daniel Marino or for more information about the show, visit our website or healthcarenowradio.com. Join this conversation using our hashtag BBC Insights. We are Lumina Health Partners. Thank you for joining us today. Until the next value-based care insight, stay well.